From the campuses of East Tennessee State University in Johnson City, Tennessee, and Emory and Henry College in Emory, Virginia, this is Religion for Life. My name is John Shuck. I'm the minister of the First Presbyterian Church of Elizabethton, Tennessee. Our website is www.fpcelizabethton.org. Religion for Life uh, looks at the intersection of religion, social justice, and public life. Our website is religionforlife.com. And today I'm continuing the conversation with Joseph Bessler, a fellow of Westar Institute and a professor of theology at Phillips Theological Seminary in Tulsa. He's just written a new book called A Scandalous Jesus, How Three Historic Questions changed theology for the better. Last week, we talked about the first two quests for the historical Jesus, the first taking place in the 18th and 19th centuries. This quest was not simply an academic exercise to look for the historical Jesus. This was a political movement to open up society from the control of the church, and the historical Jesus was a vehicle to that end. The second quest that took place in the 1960s was a quest out of the church which had grown in on itself to expand its horizon to engage the world and engage feminist and liberationist scholarship, again, the historical Jesus being a tool to help theological thought go in a direction toward social justice and change. This week, we're looking at the third quest for the historical Jesus, the renewed quest, this one led by Bob Funk and the fellows of the Jesus Seminar. In their book, The Five Gospels, um, in, in their opening, Roy Hoover and, and Bob Funk really kind of make clear that, that what scholars were trying to do in organizing the Jesus Seminar was to provide a kind of public space. So notice a space outside of the church, mm-hmm. but also outside of the university in some ways, which has its own politics. And to try to actually enter public space and to do this by uh, having scholars discuss the, the sayings of Jesus in front of an audience, right? So there's a there's a public audience that's there. And then as the scholars debate whether Jesus may have said this or not, that they actually are going to publish the results of those votes. So the scholars are going to vote on that, and then they're going to publish that with newspapers. There's a real attempt here to, to have scholarship engaging the public voice. You know, I have said often, and you wrote uh, in your book, and you've just said it, that the real scandal of the Jesus Seminar is that they let the cat out of the bag. They wrote their books in the language of non-professionals, and and that's the historic part. What is historic about that end around the academy and the church? What 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 was the driving forces to really um, make uh, the this scholarship public and to the people in the pews and, and to those who had left the pews? Well, I think that the what really came home to funk, right? So the Scott the, the the seminar is organized what like 1985 or so. It's uh-huh. uh, and 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 think of it. You'd had the influence of Jerry Falwell kind of going back to 76 and then the 78 and then being embraced more by the Reagan administration in 1980. Uh, think of it for biblical scholars watching this. They're looking at fundamentalism becoming uh, an incredibly significant voice in the shaping of American 
public policy uh, on on issues of everything from medical care to education, all just uh, perhaps even to international affairs, right? Mm -hmm. International work. And Funk is realizing that as a scholar, you write a paper, it goes into a journal that very few people, if anyone, ever reads, right? right. But this is your contribution to scholarship. But the scholarship in some ways never gets public and it never makes a real public impact. So even though scholars uh, across the country might really be up in arms in a sense that fundamentalism is having this, this dramatic new impact in American public policy, how do scholars make a dent in that? How do they begin to challenge that? So what, what Funk's really experimenting with, and it is an experiment, is to, we want to bring this scholarship. We're going to try to develop the instruments of bringing scholarship into a more accessible public format that can actually be part of, of shaping a different kind of consciousness. And uh, so, so that I, that's, I hope that helps a bit in, in getting at what you're yeah, and, and, and there, there's another part of this. Um, I went to Princeton Seminary, and uh, which houses the Center for Karl Barth Studies. I mean, I was immersed in uh, neo-orthodoxy. George Lindbeck, the book you talk about, uh, was one of the first books we read. And the whole idea was to come out of there and tell the grammar of the story. Um, the historical Jesus didn't really matter. The whole point was the canonical Jesus. You just gave the story. And what you could do is that you could kind of... Um, in other words, it didn't really uh, educate the people about what was happening regarding the historical person of Jesus. Qu quite correct. Um, and um, I mean, what's also interesting there is that, that the, um, within that kind of grammar uh, approach, again, you have a kind of a limiting of whose voices matter. Uh, and so within that, you, you really need not pay any attention to historical critical studies, um, right? So, right. so sc scholars from this field, really, uh, it, it wasn't just historical Jesus studies. They were critical of the whole approach of historical criticism, period, right? Mm -hmm. So Reverend Charles and other people who were at, at, at Yale and uh, – they wanted a more canonical understanding even of the scriptures and a movement away even from what had been developed in terms of historical criticism. So the historical Jesus, of course, would get, would get shunted aside and very quickly uh, by these folks. But, um, but, but again, what you, what you see in that, in that move is a continuation of the Bartian Right. The whole right. Bartian structure of protecting faith from legitimate inquiry. <laughs> right. Or by same, simply saying that inquiry is illegitimate because it it, it questions our doctrine. And and I simply think that that ghettoizes that whole move ghettoizes the faith. It doesn't make it relevant. It, it puts faith in a very defensive posture. Uh, it, it projects an understanding of religion as exclusive, as, as narrowly uh, focused, as not open really to the world. And in fact, it's not open to the world particularly, except on its terms, right? Mm -hmm. So 
uh, a lot of scholars and a lot of scholars who don't necessarily like historical Jesus studies saw real limitations in Lindbeck and the whole grammar approach. It looked uh, to a range of scholars to be a ghettoizing move. Theology here will, will be bound to become irrelevant to public discourse. Um, and, and I think that judgment uh, is basically right. And, and there may be a case that it sort of enabled uh, fundamentalism to have a voice. There weren't teeth in it uh, to uh, counteract their claims and their claims for um, also public discourse. Sure. And, and, and I mean, this ends up being part of the, the real uh, political cultural anxiety. To what extent does, does that kind of, of uh, neo-orthodoxy in George Lindbeck and others and I, and I don't know Mr. Lindbeck's, you know, politics at all, but in terms of structurally, to what, to what uh, extent does that stance, as well as the emerging stance at this time and, and throughout the 80s and 90s of John Paul II, really shutting down uh, debate within the Catholic Church, right, mm-hmm. and shutting out more controversial uh, voices throughout the, the 80s and 90s. To what extent did those moves end up assisting the kind of political um, fundamentalist moves that are taking place in the United States, for example? Um, I, I think that's, that is a very real concern. Uh, Joseph Bessler, my guest, he is the author of A Scandalous Jesus, How Three Historic Quests Changed Theology for the Better, those quests being the quests for the historical person of Jesus. And and for illustration, really, of, of your book, uh, I want to go back to that Jesus seminar on the road in 2005 in Billings that uh, you attended with Bob Funk. And leading up to that event um, was, a, was a letter to the editor objecting to your arrival. And this was an historic event for me personally. I mean, this, this was part of my having to leave that previous congregation was because of Jesus seminar information that I was bringing to the congregation and an opposition to that and one of and this was a letter that was printed in the Billings Gazette uh, just part of it um, I would like to inform the Christian public of the coming of a heretical group to undermine the Christian faith in the city the Jesus seminar to be held at Rocky Mountain College by so-called scholars is a farce they want to assure their audience about that the Bible is unreliable and not inspired by God that Jesus wasn't divine there wasn't a virgin birth and the resurrection is a myth. They say this is something new based on their scholarship. New, this shows their scholarship, that there's nothing new about this heresy. They used to be called Sadducees who denied the resurrection, and and then they go on and on and on. Uh, Of course, it ended being great publicity. I I wrote a letter praising the college for hosting and inviting uh, you to come and enjoy the freedom to think and challenge old ideas. There's a, a, um, a lot of fear in that letter and a lot of simple, uh, well, mistakes. But that was and still is, in a sense, the historic context of this renewed quest for the historical Jesus to, to educate uh, the public, wouldn't you say? Um, right. And it's, I'm, I'm trying to listen there uh, as you read that to the, the ways in which the, this charge of heresy, uh-huh. right? Uh, which has which has been there from the beginning with with these different quests, right? Right. Um, is is really used to kind of shut down the discourse, to just absolutely delegitimize it, and 
and there's the public dimension here. I mean, you're writing this in the Billings Gazette or wherever it is. Mm-hmm. Because, again, the assumption is most people in the United States are still Christian. And therefore, we can just create fear in, you know, throughout, throughout the, uh, the country, not simply by preaching this from a pulpit, but by preaching this, as it were, through uh, the newspaper, this kind, of, this kind of fear and the assumption that uh, publicly, the American public, as well as church-going people, uh, should avoid this dangerous discourse. So, um, uh, again, I, I think that that uh, that this person took the venue of the newspaper to spread <laughs> to spread this kind of warning, this dire warning, is uh, indicative of the assumptions that this is a Christian culture, and um, and and because of that, there should not be any questioning of Christian doctrine. Let's lock it down. Right. Lock it down and silence uh, those who would offer different ideas. Um, Now, you're going to be speaking at Westar this fall on the topic of the once and future God. The Jesus Seminar uh, has been opening horizons beyond church and creed. So what, uh, um, what is theology about now? Boy, that, that's a huge, that's a a really huge, uh, question. Maybe a question uh, that inspires another book. I don't know. <laughs> well, um, the, the next book I'm working on is actually the interface uh, of, of the political and the theological, which, which I'm, uh, it's, in some ways it's drawing energy from the, the book I just uh, wrote, uh, but it's more for um, the work of, of uh, theologians. Um, but let me get to your, your question here. Um, the the state of theology right now is is quite complex because of the many, 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 many voices uh, around the world. Not only uh, differing cultural voices from all of the different continents, uh, but but also uh, as we see even in this country, different voices and different anxieties about what needs to be addressed. What should be privileged? Should the tradition be privileged? Should contemporary experience be privileged? Should social, political, cultural, ethical issues be uh, like like climate change, race relations, global justice? Should those be uh, privileged? It's there's a lot of 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 disagreement uh, about what the core uh, theological work needs to be going forward. Along with this, there's there's anxieties about the adequacy of God language, mm-hmm. uh, right? So is is the language of God, which is itself a word that is uh, at once for the tradition metaphor, uh, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, on the other hand, in some sense, it's a name. As people call on the name of God, uh, to what extent is is this name or metaphor? helpful or useful across these differing contexts. Some people would say that by virtue of all the calamity that, that uh, has occurred throughout 20 centuries of, of religious uh, belief and practice associated with the name of God, that it is itself an ambiguous term that in some ways is no longer helpful. That it uh, especially 
um, when one imagines a kind of superhuman person named God, right, mm-hmm. uh, who can intervene in the laws of nature and, uh, and, and, and all of this, that this kind of personal, all-powerful understanding of God, um, while very prevalent in many places, is, is no longer helpful theologically. It no longer makes sense. Uh, given our understanding of of the world, and in fact, uh, given our attempt to uh, to do justice among peoples, and and um, uh, an omnipotent God is often is often in the language of the monotheistic traditions, uh, a God who favors some and doesn't favor others, and who therefore uh, is a God of uh, who can marshal real violence against one's uh, enemies. So. There's a good bit of, of intellectual and moral criticism of God language within theology, and trying to find uh, a basis of, of of connecting, of illuminating uh, helpful understandings of the sacred, um, and of the experience of the sacred. This is really something that's going on in a range of voices has been for I think this last generation, but even now is trying to to kind of broaden this discussion as it were beyond simply Christian communities into agnostic communities, at points even within atheist communities where mm-hmm. there's a kind of an, at the very least, an openness toward a sense of sacrality, um, as well as kind of an outreach more toward at least uh, some speaking within the the framework of traditions themselves. So there's, there's a variety of, of attempts to try to claim and articulate uh, a kind of, I'm not sure if the term is middle ground, but of a helpful ground, a helpful kind of space in which the language of sacrality uh, and, um, and the experiences of that uh, kind of anchor the, um, the work of theology. And the last chapter of your book, uh, Joseph Bessler, My Guest, A Scandalous Jesus, is his book, How Three Historic Quests Have Changed Theology for the Better. You give a little, uh, uh, some portraits of various fellows uh, within the, the Jesus Seminar who really span quite a difference from Marcus Borg uh, to, on one hand, to say perhaps uh, Bob Funk or, or Don Cupid or Lloyd Gearing uh, on mm-hmm. the other. And, and, all, uh, and the, the historic aspect to me, as I see this, of the Jesus Seminar is that it gave elbow room, gave space uh, for these variety of views to exist, not saying this is where we need to go or each one, but that uh, plethora, perhaps, yes. of, of approaches is, is, is part of where we need to be now in the 21st century. Yes, I really enjoyed writing that, that section of the book because, again, so many people who don't like the seminar uh, would say, well, they all just agree with Bob Funk, or they all just have one... Mm-hmm set of positions. And in fact, when you look at them with any kind of care, you realize, no, there really are a variety of, of voices here. Um, and in some ways that, that uh, Borg very creatively wants to create space with, uh, within the language of tradition for opening up a new paradigm for articulating uh, Christian faith. But he really wants that dialogue to exist between uh, more in some sense, more traditional Christianity and a new paradigm. Uh, and, and he does this, I think, with great skill. And, and then you've got 
like Hal Tossig and Steve Patterson, who are working along somewhat similar lines, it seems to me, but also beginning to document the kind of the range. So in, in Hal's book on like a thousand different uh, communities and uh, uh, progressive communities, and they're, they're trying to articulate ways in which scholarship and, uh, and, and, and new experiences of community are also kind of opening up dimensions of, of faith that have been somewhat overlooked or missed within more traditional understandings. You get to someone like John Dominic Crossan, and there really is a more kind of, of, of a political focus, a more a kind of a critique of empire that's going on in a, in a good range of, of his work and understanding Jesus and the politics of Jesus as, as opening up a, um, analogously, I think, a critique of our own kind of imperial, um, uh, what, imperial desires uh, over the course of the, of the last uh, two decades uh, in this country. And, and so there's a more of a prophetic kind of voice there. And you get to Bob Funk, who, who really is quite open in saying, you know, I'm among those people who are um, what he calls the church alumni society, mm -hmm. those who have left the church because they no longer find a living, something living and, and exciting and passionate and helpful going on there. And so, again, this, all of these voices, they're quite different theological sets of interests, along with then uh, Lloyd Gearing uh, and, and Don Cupid, who says we really just need to, to move beyond um, theism completely. There's a range of positions that actually you're very right in, in, your, in using the word breathing space. They, they're really articulating uh, a conversation on, on the meaning of faith. I remember working with the Jesus Seminar, and they were constantly being accused by their critics of finding a Jesus to their own liking. Uh, and, and they seemed to want to respond to that by saying, no, we're looking at just the facts, ma'am. And yet at the same time, there is also an historic element. They're, they're, they're working... They're just the facts. They are looking for the historical Jesus, looking at this Greek word and that one and whatever. And yet at the same time, there are historic forces uh, shaping this whole enterprise of, of why they're making this search in the first place. And, and that really is, in a sense, the why of your book. Why uh, do we need to do that now? And, and what, what really is the uh, perhaps even unconscious, uh, to the scholars themselves maybe, um, forces that are, that are pushing uh, this development. Well, that is a is a great question, and I think I am trying to unearth some of that in the book. And so I I think there is a a set of of commitments to an open community, to a more open uh, political life that tends to inform the scholar's approach to the discipline, be it theology, be it uh, be it biblical studies that our commitments to scholarship do not happen in a cultural uh, void, but that, and, and of course we try to, um, to be mindful of these commitments when we engage in the practice of scholarship. Mm -hmm. um, nonetheless, um, I think the, the kind of existential commitment of, of a Bob Funk emerges not simply from his knowledge of Greek or his knowledge, but also from his sense of what faith needs to be about right. in our world and the kind of, 
the kind of world that we as people of faith need to try to hold open, not simply for ourselves, but for others, so that there are visions of a just society, there are visions of, of, of goodness, of compassion, that, that for the scholar wrestling with Jesus saying, well, isn't Jesus about this? Isn't Jesus trying in some ways to, to open up um, his world? And isn't he in some sense taking risks and taking a stance over against the powers of empire, over against the, the artificial closing of religious experience? Isn't he trying to turn the tables in some ways for mm-hmm. the sake of community, for the sake of, 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 of enhancing the life of the people of God, the people of the world? And uh, so I, I think that sense of commitment to the world actually also informs the scholarship that even one's commitment yeah. uh, to a sense of the sacred already in itself begins to shape a trajectory of how one thinks about goodness, about justice, about the kind of world that ought to be that then influences your own what your own experience as a call, perhaps, uh, to to be a scholar, uh, or your own sense of commitment to scholarship. I mean, why are you doing this? Why pay attention to these texts? Uh, the the deeper anchors of our intellectual commitments lies in in values to what we think faith and the gospel and the sacred are really about. And uh, there, there's no getting away from that, nor in some sense would we want to get away from that. Yes, yes, very good. As I was thinking, I've often had this personal thing, why am I interested in the historical Jesus? Yeah. And, and your book uh, really helped clarify, well, yeah, that's why it, it is. I am interested in it, but it's more than that. And there are, uh, and, and a lot of that had to do with that uh, the letter to the editor that I just read of of the of of a lot of within my own denomination and their just unwillingness to go beyond creed. Um, well, yeah, yes, and and you know one of the things that that kind of struck me as I finished the book and actually kind of read now what have I written here and and I was I was actually struck by the fact that one could read one could use this book in an introduction to to modern theology. Mm-hmm. In some ways, you could take this thread of historical Jesus and, and, and the reactions to it, and it actually kind of opens up a, a good sense of the range of what we've been doing in the modern and now postmodern periods in theology. So, uh, I just was enthralled by reading that um, all the way through. Oh, thank you. Thank you. So, uh, Joseph Bessler, author of A Scandalous Jesus, published this summer by Polbridge Press, How Three Historic Quests Changed Theology for the Better. Joseph Bessler, my guest, I look forward to uh, seeing you again uh, this fall at West Star Institute, October 23rd through the 26th. And thank you for being with me today on Religion for Life. Thanks, John. I really enjoyed it. 
You've been listening to Religion for Life, a program at the intersection of religion, social justice, and public life. My name is John Shuck. I'm the minister of the First Presbyterian Church of Elizabethton, Tennessee. Our website is fpcelizabethton.org. You can find more information about upcoming programs and links to podcasts at religionforlife.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and iTunes. Religion for Life is co-produced by WETS-FM in Johnson City, Tennessee, and WEHC in Emory, Virginia. Be well.